pilot speaking. Once again, thank you for flying Barely Airlines Flight 406127. Uh, uh, direct service to Tucson. Uh, sit back in uh, 30,000 feet flight attendants, Darla and Stacy. We do realize uh, you're currently 61 degrees and uh, uh, no smoking. You know, that didn't make much sense, right? Uh, that's affirmative. Uh, coming up on 20 years of service, and, uh... You don't care anymore? Uh, correct. You find that when you're a pilot, uh, you can get away with anything, as long as you, uh, talk like this. Greetings, everybody, and welcome. Repeat here. You're listening to the podcast, So There I Was. It's how every great aviation tale begins. This is episode 13, entitled, It Was a Dark and Stormy Night. Fig, what do you think of that? That's a good title. It's an outstanding title, and our guest was Jake, Navy F-14 pilot. And he has a great story about a dark and stormy night. He spent bobbing in and out of the water after an ejection. Great story. (laughs) (laughs) It just curls my hair and hurts my bones thinking about that. But, you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 61 degree water temperature. He was there for over an hour. Rescue helicopter came, hovered over him, left. Left him there. (laughs) Hey, wait. It for and me. Jake tells it, it, it yes and Jake tells it with such humor and he talks through his whole ejection with such humor even though I know it was absolutely terrifying absolutely absolutely and then we got in uh, he, he relayed a uh, another fig story so, yes he did <laughs> little, little hijinks did. Uh, out in the ville so uh, <laughs> hijinks at the town pump there you go Welcome to Central California. So, yes, sir. All right. So, yep, here we go. Without much further ado, uh, thanks to the folks over at Mac Geek Gab who helped us put this show together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy episode number 13. It was a dark and stormy night. Here it goes. Lucky number 13. Yeah, man. So there I was. It's how every great aviation tale begins. Greetings, everybody. Repeat here, coming to you from New Delhi, India. I'm joined by my co-host. This is Fig, and I'm in Boston, the bean town. And I'd like to welcome our guest, Jake. Welcome, Jake. Thanks. Good to see you. Oh, glad you could join us. This is uh, this is awesome. So, uh, Jake, uh, you're a naval aviator. I'm given to understand we've not met, met before tonight. Tell us where where and how you became a, a nasal radiator, as we call ourselves. <laughs> well, so okay. I mean, the, I'll give you a really quick Reader's Digest version of it. I was in high school, recruited to play soccer at the Naval Academy. Decided to go there for all the wrong reasons to play soccer and a good education. 
And then I'm day one marching around with the shaved head going, what in the hell am I doing here? Like, this is not what I signed up for. And I'm like, okay, I can't quit till my hair grows out. Right. You got a paycheck with that, didn't you? Come on. <laughs> it was like 35 bucks a week or whatever it was. <laughs> then, yeah. So, you know, all those midshipman cruises they put us on and, and you know, the driving the ship just never appealed to me at all. I did like running around with the Marines for a week at Quantico. I hated the sub week at Groton, Connecticut. That was not fun. Pensacola was fun and Quantico was fun. My assistant coach was a pilot. I was kind of like flying, so I kind of fell into it. Um, nice. And frankly, I had a little conduct issue at Naval Academy. My no. class rank wasn't no. the best. And I, I know, I know, it's it's going to shock all of you, especially Fig, because he knows me well. Uh, and the one year Ronald Reagan said anybody from the academy who's physically qualified that can fly can fly. I'm like, holy crap, I'm in. So that's how I got my flight spot and <laughs> went to Pensacola and that's it. That's how it started. Nice. And that's where I met Jake. Yep. We were both Meridians, Meridian, Mississippi. That's right. Hey, what, where did you do primary? What primary squadron were you in, Jake? I was, uh, it was VT six, I believe out of Whiting. Okay. Yeah. I was in VT six and then showed up in Meridian God, when was, it was a fall of it was a fall of '88, it, and you were in VT6 at the same time I was, and we didn't know each other then. Uh, but yeah. I remembered you because you were, you know, you were the you were the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, chiseled, good-look Naval Academy guy that you know every Marine sounds like a little bit of hates. a man crush going on here, Fick. No, no, <laughs> you okay, no, brother? No. I. <laughs> He made me feel feelings that I couldn't explain, and I was mad about that. Oh, yeah. man. Off yeah. the rails. That was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a while ago. We we actually roomed together. I don't know if you remember this or not, but when we went on our T2CQ debt to uh, Key West, we roomed together. Yeah, uh, very stressful. That. A lot of drinking. So the day we qualified, we did the Duval crawl. And we got kicked out of the same bar, Rick's, three times in one night. Largely because <laughs> Fig was Fig. And Wait, Fig got I kicked out of a man. bar? Say it ain't so. No. <laughs> three, three times in one night. I think it was a record for – they had this college – they had this uh, – it was a spring break kind of time frame. And they had this contest. Who came from the long, farthest place away? And we were pasty white because we've been – flying we hadn't been out in the sun doing anything and so big comes up with we're u of a of j university of alaska juno he just right out of the wazoo came up with that one and uh somehow that i think won the contest nice. and then we got promptly kicked out three times i think for <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Fick, i seem to remember you coming up with plumbers from tucson one night too in a bar <laughs> well, pipe fitters yeah. pipe fitters local yeah, pipe fitters you never ever wanted to cop to be in a pilot because nobody would believe you what do you do i'm a i'm a i'm a jet pilot yeah you are sure you are it's most more believable to say i'm a plumber right it's a line yeah, <laughs> yeah. beautiful that's funny that's awesome Good times that was fun repeat jake jake and i were also uh we got winged together we're in the same winging class we had a couple spaniards a couple italians handful of navy guys and then of course the most important the marines 
Absolutely. A couple of drug heads. Yeah. A couple of drug heads. That's right. So, so Jake, yeah. after we parted ways in uh, Meridian, you went to, uh, uh, you selected F-14, you went to F-14 regs. Lay, lay it out for the history of uh, what your naval aviation career Yeah, what does that look like to become a Tomcat pilot? Where do, where do you go? Was there more than one reg or only one? There was. It was one on each coast at the time when they were still building Tomcats and they were still pumping them out. I went to Oceana, Virginia. My wife and I moved there. And just another great group of guys in the VF-101 rag. It was a lot of fun. You know, a whole lot of hard work. Um, it's not a, it was a challenging airplane to fly well, cause it was so big. You really had to know your energy states. You had to, and it was, a, we were flying the TF thirties in the F 14 a, so the TF 30 wasn't the best motor for that airplane. The GE 110 motor was obviously way better and performed way better until it didn't. And then it was bad, but <laughs> the, <laughs> with little or no warning, it sounds like, yeah, sometimes that would. I mean, that, that's what caused, uh, do you remember Easy Fig? He got winged with us. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, do you know the story with him? Refresh my memory. He was an A6 pilot. Okay. So anyway, we got together. I, I got to know a lot of A6 guys as well as a lot of Tomcat guys. And so it was just a great, just like Meridian was in Dalewood Lake. And it was, so it was a challenging airplane to land. We didn't really have a whole lot of places to field carry a landing practice. It was, you know, Ventress. Uh, was an area where you would just do some attack stuff, but we really just had the field. So they had a high washout rate to the FCLPs landing at the boat. So that was, it was probably, well, it had a lot of dust roll to it and you had to anticipate your power settings and everything else. The hardest part of that airplane was the, was the carrier landings. You, you could learn all the rest of it. I mean, it was big airplane, but you could figure it out. Good instructors. It was, it was a lot of fun to fly, but. Was it stable once you got it on speed? Was it stable or did it move around a lot? You know, when you're on the, when you're flying the glide path. So if, uh, if you're on glide path, with 15 units of angle attack, you're still constantly correcting. And before the correction kicks in, you got to pull it off more than you thought you need to, and then find a middle spot. So if you reacted to the airplane, you were hosed. You had to just, you were behind, you were way behind. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you just couldn't figure it out, you couldn't, you were just, you just weren't going to figure it out. It was just, and you weren't going to qual. And so we had some really good high quality guys that just didn't qualify at the boat and they got other airplanes to fly, um, land-based flights, uh, uh, airplanes to fly. But, uh, I went to the boat with like 12 guys and I think four of us or five of us qualified. Oh my gosh. Yeah. By happenstance, my grades are highest and then they, plus me up with more landings and 10 days later, I'm on a seven month cruise. So that's what I got for doing. Okay. That's a workup. That was a workup. Yeah. I went on cruise on my first cruise, like 20 total Tomcat traps. Uh, Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was interesting for sure. That's terrifying. Is <laughs> what that is. That's yeah. trial by feet right in the fire. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, you're tossed. You're tossed right in. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Jake, you inadvertently teased a story about a guy uh, a, a while back there. But I figure you know the story about – so what was that? Something about high speed? So his call sign was Daisy. Daisy or Easy. Sometimes it depends on, you know, who was talking to him, really. Um, he was Daisy to us. <clears throat> he was our winging class. He was in our winging class. 
Yep, he was an yeah. A6 LSO. And at the time, they did this cross breeding thing where you could pick an airplane in the fleet, get NATOPS called in something that isn't yours. And it helps you. It was a good deal for them. But it was a, it was a, in theory, is a way for you to understand the airplane better that you're not familiar with when you're waving it at the end of the ship, at the back end of the ship. So he chose Tomcats. He was co-located at Oceana with A6s and he wanted to go supersonic. So he, he chose a Tomcat and on his first flight, he's doing 1.1, 1.2. He had a delaminated section in his afterburner that wasn't known, obviously. It burned through. And all the hot gases circulated away from the fire detection elements. And it ultimately culminated with the horizontal tail, which has the surface area of an A4 wing. It had great pitch rate, Tomcat, but not going 1.2. It fully deflected and came apart. It was over quick form, but it was, I mean, what are the odds? You know, your first flight ever in an airplane and something like that happens. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Okay, well, that was not a funny story I was hoping for. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah. I yeah. can tell you so many Daisy stories where he swam across the inlet to get away from the local police, and it worked. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was nuts. He was a really, really good guy. The fun, Okay, so here's a great story. At his funeral, there were several women there that thought they were dating him, and they all were, but they never knew about the other ones. <laughs> so here he is with all these girls at his funeral thinking they were the one and there were a lot of and they them. weren't the one <laughs> they weren't the one they, they were all the ones they were one of many <laughs> they were all the ones yeah they were all the one yeah oh that's yeah. he was a really good dude so you got you got fleet right in the fire right right to a cruise and then so after that then what First cruise flying over northern Iraq. It was provide comfort when it was the war to end all discomfort. You know, when they were Saddam was trying to kill all the Kurds in the north. So we were we were flying in the north presence, you know, to present, you know, America's war fighting capabilities and everything, just so he wouldn't just get carried away and start whacking them all. We were doing some there was very little rules really at the time that were sort of enforced. We were doing low levels over Iraqi troops. It was fast, you know, 500 knots, 500 feet, just blasting by them. We hit a tanker a few times out of Insulik on the way in and on the way out. Uh, we were up in the Mosul and herbal area. We've got great pictures flying by one of his palaces. Um, he had multiple palaces, so we did these flybys, and that thing was shelled. All our, our troops used it as target practice. It was pretty funny. Um, I got locked up one time with AAA, but I never saw any shooting. So I don't know if that was something spurious or if they were just playing games. But it's a dangerous move. Yeah. 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 Well, we um, lucky you didn't like light him up with a shrike, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to point a radar at me? I, I got something for you. <laughs> the, the ROE then was a little bit challenging too to sort out because it was always a sort of a moving target. You had to kind of see something coming at you. Okay. Um, and we never did. So we were just diving behind hills and breaking the locks. Jake, I have a question for you. So you said you did some flybys by some of Saddam's palaces. Yeah. Were they uh, from 20,000 feet or were they a little lower than that? 20,000 feet ish by quite a bit down to like maybe it was close. We were close. Great photos. It was in our cruise book. 
It was in our cruise book. It was awesome. It was our squadron cruise book photo. Were, were you practicing for your blues audition? That was my farewell photo from the squadron, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, was, we were a flight of two, and we just would buzz his was one of his he had multiple palaces obviously but this one was beautiful because it it was right on a cliff and just past the house would just drop down to like a massive crevasse so he had great views when he stayed there but i don't think that thing is very habitable now since we kind of beat it up a bit but yeah yeah so that was seven months and three days yeah wow okay that was a long time did what came back um, they decommissioned our air wing and sent us out to the West Coast. And then a lot of good fortune happened for me then when they, um, I got picked to go to Top Gun. And there's a lot of luck involved with that. You know, you could be the best pilot in the world, but if your squadron doesn't have a slot that fiscal year, you're not going to. So your squadron needs a spot and you have to have enough time left in your squadron that you can come back and then, you know, impart the lessons you learn there to make it worth the squadron's while to send you. So there's a whole lot of good luck timing wise and everything to get picked for that. Uh, at the time it was only air to air. So it was like a six month or a six week course. Now it's like an eight week course, I think incorporating air to ground. It culminates too. It's kind of cool how they progress that because you start with like a week of ground school and you learn all the bad guy shit and weapons and whatever. And then it progresses to one V one, two V two, and our last, uh, we had eight students going through at the time, four Hornets and four Tomcats. And our last student strike was, we had eight of us against 13 of them at the Yuma tax range. It was a pretty good furball. Nice. Oh, I bet that was a hoot. Did you see Tom Kazansky or, or Pete Mitchell or uh, Ken Bradshaw or any of those guys out when you were out there? Did you see those guys? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> We lost to them in the first beach volleyball game, so it was over. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. it. <laughs> so dispel some of the rumors. I mean, what uh, you talked about the first week is learning the bad guy stuff, that sort of thing. Obviously, uh, I guess what I'm asking is compare some of what you did see in Hollywood uh, to what Top Gun was really like because anybody with any sense, you don't even have to be a pilot to realize that uh, doing steep angle of bank left and right, or maybe some aileron rolls is not your primary maneuver to shake someone off your six. Yeah. How much time are you spending in the books and that sort of thing, preparing for flights and preparing, learning tactics and that sort of thing? Cause my understanding is top gun was not a cakewalk. It was grueling. It was grueling. It was uh, a great learning experience. The first week was nothing but academics. You learn about potential uh, adversaries you could face North Koreans, the uh, Russians, of course, and the Russian, you know, they, their MIGs are everywhere in the Middle East. So usually they've got uh, Soviet trained, either Egyptians or Syrians or, you know, anybody that would you could potentially consider as an adversary. We didn't really think much of the Chinese at the time. I don't know why that was, but they were focused primarily on Soviet tactics. Okay. Um, I think that was probably because that was the most prevalent. Uh, tactic but we you know most of the soviet weapon systems we had to know pretty cold and they would quiz us on it quite a bit um and airplane wise it was important to know what you're up against and what their capabilities are are they can they shoot you in the face can do they have to swing your wing line to you know so you can you can exploit their weaknesses by knowing what kind of airplane it is when you 
positively ID it, and then how to maximize your weapon systems. So basically, I think the only thing accurate in the movie was the fact that there is a school, there is no trophy, you don't compete against each other, you work well together, that's the whole point. And nothing tactical about that was accurate, obviously, because right. it's, it's, it's got to fit in the camera, right? It's got to, you got to get all the airplanes in one shot, which in reality, a combat spread is several miles lateral and thousands of feet vertical, and you are in support of each other that way. You're not tucked in really tight like a blue angel uh, during a dogfight. The 10,000-foot hard deck uh, <laughs> at 200 feet <laughs> didn't exist. Yeah, right, right, right. So in the school, they lowered it. Uh, it was never really 10, but you could, you know, over the water, it was good to have an altitude because you could get disoriented with your altitude because the ocean is right. like waves are all sizes. You know, you could you could really get um, confused as to how high you are if you're just looking out at water. So uh, for training-wise, it's good to have hard deck, but... Uh, they they drop that down during the school for sure. Basically, to get to the minimum of your seat envelope, that you hit that, and you either better be under control or pulling the handle, right? Yeah, uh, you're not going to live if you hit the ground. So the whole point is to make him hit the ground or be able to be a, in a position to shoot him. And the F-14A was different. Like I was in there, I went to the school in a D, which was great. The energy addition in the GE-110 motor was impressive. So you could, in an, a, in an F-14A with a TF-30 motors, if you got into a slow fight, you were locked into a slow fight. You're not going to get your energy back. It just won't come back. The, en- the engines just wouldn't do it. So you were committed to a slow-speed fight. Wow. The GE-110 changed everything. You can unload and get all your energy back, pitch back into the fight. Uh, you can go vertical longer. You can go vertical easier. Uh, you can bleed it and, and get it back. And a heartbeat. It was it was a much more uh, competent motor for this for that aircraft. So so uh, we had Pester on a few episodes ago, and he was talking about the motors. And do you recall his uh, that airplane he jumped out of? What motor was in that jet? That's a good question. I don't know if he was in a a B, a D, or an A. I, I don't know. The B and D had the GE one ten. The A had the TF thirty. Uh, but I don't remember what Pete was in. So you you jumped out of a Tomcat at some point. I did. Yeah. I mean, I remember what, the date and the year and let's hear it. day of the week. And How'd that happen? Walk us through this exercise. All right. So San Clemente Island has a small runway on it at the tip of it. It's a it's a island that's used for bombing, strafing, everything else. SEALs train out there, and they got a small runway out there that they use for night carrier landing practice. It's great training for that because you don't have the ambient lights of cities. You don't have artificial horizon from city lights. It's just a, seriously a black hole in the middle of the night. And this night, it was a the weather was great. It was clear, but there was not a sliver of a moon. So it was as black as it can be. So... Again, it's great training for night carrier landing. So you go out there and you stack up on the Marshall stack like a holding pattern. You get your push time, you come down, and then you do your landings. They only light the small section that looks just like a carrier landing area too. So when you get in close, you know, you don't have – there's just nothing that will ruin the, the training for – it looks just like the boat. It's just outstanding training. So it's terrifying is what you're trying to say. 
my next statement was it was never fun to go out there. It was just never fun to go out there. <laughs> but you also knew that it was a runway. So in the back of your mind, you still know. It's just like Sears School. You know, when you go to Sears School, you know I'm not going to die. It sucks. And I hate it here. But I, in the back of your mind, you know it's still, still going to end well for me in a week. We finished up all of our landings. And then we took off. We're heading back to Miramar. And I remember pulling the thrust back so I didn't overspeed the gear when I raised the gear. I didn't use afterburner. I was just in mill power and climbing out through about 3,000 feet or so, 4,000 feet. It was violent. It felt like a car accident. I mean, it was violent. Audible, loud, and violent. And I sincerely thought I hit somebody. And I'm like, I didn't see another airplane. I'm looking around. And what, what the hell was that? And I'm... It's pitch black, right? It's pitch black. No moon. Correct. Wow. Yeah, it's as dark as you can get. And I'm looking around, and I'm looking for, like, some remnants of an airplane I might have just hit to see some kind of clue as to what – because I, I legitimately – my initial reaction was I hit something. And then the lights flicker, clued me back inside to realize one generator picked up the load from the other generator. Lights flicker when that happens. And I look down at my motor, and I see my left engine – Zero RPM. So it went from spinning full speed, not after running, but still full speed, to zero, like instantly, which is, that's pretty dramatic. A seized engine is violent, yeah. It's very violent, and it's it's rare. It doesn't happen often, thankfully. So now I'm starting to think, okay, well, I've seen this before. I, we trained for this. In the Tomcat, you got the asymmetrical thrust between engines is pretty significant. It's like 14 feet or so, if I remember correctly. So you always train for the single engine landings because it's, it's got a, quite a bit of yaw to it. If you lose an engine off the front end of the ship, you got to know that quickly and be on the on the rudder correctly so you don't lose the end or the airplane. So the asymmetrical yaw to a single engine issue with the Tomcat's pretty big deal. So you train for it all the time. So I'm starting to think back. Okay, I got this because you know I've seen this before. You train for this all the time. Go through the procedures. I have a brand new NFO who is a really good guy, but he. I mean, he's like right out of the rag. So his experience level is, is uh, you know, he just hasn't been around much. But it's not – he's competent. He's capable. He's a, he's a good NFO. He just hadn't seen much. So it wasn't like those salty guys when you get back there and they've seen everything and they can – they're kind of an asset. So anyway, we start working through procedures to shut the engine off, which it obviously shut itself off. I pulled the uh, fuel control handle so there's no more gas dumping in there. And I'm just starting – I think, okay, am I going to go back to San Clemente and single engine trap? Am I going to probably going to go to North Island, not fly over a lot of houses if you have to, single engine, if you don't know why the other one fails, or maybe it could be a problem. So I probably, in my mind, I'm thinking North Island. And then we get a firelight. I'm like, what the? You got to be. So I go through that procedures. And the firelights, I mean, at a black night, that amber firelight is, I think it was amber, it might have, it's probably red. That red light was just blasting you in the face. And I'm like, come on. And I'm like, there's no gas going to the engine. There's like nothing. Well, so what happens when an engine seizes like that, those turbine blades, they have to go somewhere, all that energy. And they, they, it's not uncommon for them to shred off of the core. And they just, they, they'll bust through the side of the engine or cut fuel lines, cut hydraulic lines. It's like shrapnel. It's right. So you had an uncontained engine failure is what they call it. 
right? But you don't know that in the cockpit, right? You don't know, but but you have a pretty good idea as to why it's still got a firelight. And then I'm like, is that like a legit firelight? I'm looking, I'm like, well, I just had a massive engine failure. There's no gas going to it. And the EGT is pegged. I'm like, it's cooking. It's on fire. And I went through what we had for a single engine fire or a single engine failure with a twin engine fire and it's still cooking. And I'm like, I'm not going to stay with this. So pull the handle. We, we talked about it. Obviously I said it Jack three times and then uh, up we went. And I can still see the airplane going away from me. And uh, we were probably 5,000 feet, like 325, 350. Um, and so the seat is, it's an impressive seat. It's smart. So if you're at high altitude, it's got these pedostatic probes that pop out and it'll know if you're at 30 something thousand feet when you get out and it'll free fall on your seat because you can't breathe up there. And it'll wait until you get into some thicker air where you can breathe and you get the seat man separation and everything else. Well, at 5,000 feet, you can breathe and you get that opening shock seat man separation right away. And it's, that was the most, uh, dramatic physically part of this whole thing the ejection seat's fine because you're up the rail and it's up your spine and you're good but when you're like a rag down in the wind at 300 plus and the opening shock slows you to nothing that was a lot. i bet that's impressive did you lose your helmet or did you keep your helmet everything stayed on everything stayed on okay um and then you know you go through that uh start thinking about all that IROC training that you went through, you know, if you're in the shoot and um, you start, you uh, take your mask off so you can breathe. You start, you don't throw anything away. Obviously you keep your gloves, you, you pull your, uh, you inflate your lobes, you drop your raft, you inflate that. And then, you know, you, you're supposed to have your hands on the Coke fitting. So when your feet hit the water, you can release your shoe, but I couldn't see the water. I'm looking down going, I can't see the water. I can hear it getting loud, <laughs> but I can't see it. And I'm like, I do not want to cut myself loose from this thing before I hit the water. So I took my hands away thinking I didn't, I didn't inadvertently. Didn't trust yourself not to, oops. <laughs> release myself from my chute. Yeah. So hit the water, crawl into my raft. And it was six foot seas, 60 something, like 60 degrees, 60, 63 degrees. Oh, that got your attention, I bet. It was cold. Yeah. You know, it doesn't sound cold, but it is. Oh, yeah. You walk outside, it's 60 degrees. That's fine. When you're in water with blowing wind, six-foot seas, you get tossed out of your raft, crawl back in. Yeah. I mean, that was at least a half dozen times. The Atlantic Ocean in New England in the summertime is 60 to 65 degrees on any given day. And you can walk into it up to your knees, and after about 10 minutes, your bones ache so badly from the cold. It, it's miserable. Well, so getting that dunk in the middle of the night, <laughs> on a black night. That was, yeah. With no boat right there to pick you up. Right. It's got to be a sinking feeling. <laughs> that was bad planning on my part. I didn't. I didn't have a boat there. So then I drift back over the chute because I felt, I felt something scraping my cheek. I turned my flashlight on and I drifted back over my chute. It was. Oh, so you're in the water and your chute's underneath you. Yeah. Uh. So now I'm cutting the lanyards that are in the air, getting away from it, sculling away. So I didn't get dragged down by a chute full of water. 
Yeah, everybody here, that's one of the big things they train you for is to let your feet hit the water, release the coke fittings, which is what the harness that holds you to your risers of your chute. If, and they're supposed to release with seawater, sea-activated uh, re automatic release or something like that. I think that's what seawater stands for. And because if you stay with your parachute, it will fill with water, and there's nothing you're wearing in, by way of life vest that will keep you afloat. That's thousands of pounds of downforce. So yeah, you've got right. to get away from that. Right. That was that was a concern, obviously, that I had. So that I get away from that, and then a helicopter comes. I'm sitting there going, like, when are these guys coming to pick me the hell up? I mean, I made a radio call before I got out. They have to know us here. And thankfully, I saw a good shoot, a silhouette of a shoot from my uh, Rio, and the island lights from San Clemente Island. So I knew he had a good shoot. Ho hoping he was still okay, obviously. So I'm in the raft, waiting and waiting, tossed out, crawl back in, waiting and waiting. And then I'm like, does my strobe light even work? I take it off and put it in front of my face and blinds me for, <laughs> you know, 10 minutes because it worked. It worked. Right <laughs> yeah, it worked. Son of a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> so then a helicopter comes in, um, which was CH-47. It comes in, hovers, and then leaves. I'm like, what the? F I mean, did you not see me? Like, I was, you just left. Well, they had to get gas. I found out later. I'm like, seriously? I'd have gone with you to get gas. <laughs> I know. I was happy to go with Come you. Come on. <laughs> so then they, they came back out. I see a swimmer jump in. He's got a chem light on the top of his head. And you know that Monty Python scene when the when the Holy Grail, when the knights are charging the castle and the guys look yes. away and then look back and the guys start over again? Well, that's what this was. This guy was, you know, these, the swells were there. I saw his chem light on his helmet and then I couldn't see anything. Then he's closer and I couldn't see anything. No, and then he's even on top of me. And so <laughs> it, it was just weird how that whole thing progressed. But then, uh, so he, he gropes you to make sure you're not hurt. Talks to you before he, he Get your phone tries number. to help. So he, yeah. So he's not going to try to wrestle you. Um, uh, I let him know there was a shrinkage problem because of the cold water, but. Right on. And, uh, and then he hooks me up with the D ring and then the helicopter had a Doppler hover capability. So if there's a swell, the helicopter maintains its altitude over the water. So it doesn't add to the people in the water by getting swamped by a wave so that was pretty cool but then they kicked that off and the helicopter started drifting now i'm getting dragged under the water i feel like i'm oh, spinner no. bait yeah oh no you can't breathe <laughs> and all that luminescence from the water you can see it everywhere you know and i'm just like this spinner this this spoon being cranked through the water the original shark week huh yeah well, it's a wonder you didn't get eaten by a great white shark during this whole so thing. the funny thing you say that is i found out later that it was a breeding ground for great whites and it was mating <laughs> season yeah no but uh. yeah so thankfully six foot seas that ambient noise masked my buffoonery on the surface and and i wasn't bleeding anywhere so they weren't attracted wow yeah and then uh then they picked up my nfo and i saw his goofy grin so i knew he was good and then they dropped us off at balboa naval hospital we go walking into the er with our soaking wet with our lobes still inflated and that was <laughs> yeah that was fun that was a hoot oh, 
So did you have any injuries, Jake? Did you have any injuries from the ejection? So a little bit of back, a little bit of neck over time. Ow, my neck. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was specific to the incident or if it was just being a fighter pilot, pulling G's all the time. Yeah. So it could have been an well, accumulation of all that stuff. I flew again in a week, so. I never ejected Jake, but I got a little bit of neck and a little bit of back all the time. Right. Right. And I and I know you do, too. Right. Yeah. You're not supposed to weigh nine times your body weight that often. Right. Not consistently. No. Yeah. yeah. So you were back in an airplane in, in a week. Yeah. It was back in a week. Um, then it took them four months. So they, it was the first DW loss. It was kind of a big deal. They wanted to know what happened. So I got pretty heavily scrutinized, you know, like anybody would, decision-making process and all that kind of stuff. Um, it took four months to find the plane. It was in 3,000 feet of water. Oh, that was expensive. Yeah. It was mostly in pieces the size of my fist, except for the motor that quit. So they pulled that out, and they did a – they had molten metal splatter on the hole that was blown in the side of the motor that was indicative of, like, 1,500-degree – bleed air so with no gas going to this thing it was cooking it it was cooking it was wow. hot it was on fire it was burning so they they wanted what they wanted to do was they wanted to find out why it happened so they wanted to prevent it from happening again so he came up with a it was in a turbine section it was a seal that as the blades spin they wear into their own individual seals so each seal is unique to the motor and they had like an unacceptable um it wasn't much, but it's still more than you want, obviously. Uh, incidents of high, of, of, uh, of uh, failure rates higher than they wanted in low time engines, GE 110 motors. And they traced it back to the seal and the turbine section. So they came up with an engineering modification. And uh, they, before we went on our second cruise, they modified all but, I think, two airplanes. Day three of cruise. Uh, a buddy of mine who's a, a American airline pilot now. Um, good guy. You could maybe cut that out if you don't want the airline thing in there, but really good dude. <laughs> and then, uh, his NFO is a really good friend of mine too. Uh, cool with a K comet and cool with a K. He became a comet after this and uh, cool with a K because uh, I'll tell you that in a second. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's, they're doing a the discovery channels out there filming our whole cruise. It was Carrier Fortress at Sea. You can find it online. I, um, I remember this. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's so Comet's doing a he's doing a missile profile. He got picked to do a missile profile. He's like, this is awesome. I'm gonna go blast him by the ship at 60 feet, Mach one point, whatever. And uh Skipper's like, hey, Discovery Channel's here filming it. It's post tail hook. You know, we're doing everything right. We're not we're not we're not messing around. So stay at a thousand feet which probably helped him a lot in the, in the end of this. But you could not have timed this more perfectly. He's show center right overhead the ship and shits, him, shits the motor. It, it just came apart. And uh, they're doing 1.1, I think. He does a real nice job slowing the airplane down. And cool with a K, uh, got his call sign because he was on the radio. He goes, hey, boss, uh, can you send the helicopter over? You know, just as calm and as cool. That is yeah. He's like, yeah. He was like, hey, boss, can you uh, send a helicopter over? And uh, so this thing, 
it they shell out of that thing. They were doing close to 400, but they got out and they're both physically fine. Um, but the airplane was lost and it was one of the airplanes that wasn't modified. And they used that Discovery Channel high-speed film to slow it down frame by frame to find out where the breach took place in the engine. It was the same spot. No way. Yeah. This was an airplane that had already been modified? Had not, had not been. been. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, I I I remember that, I, and I think I think you told me this when we were in Kingsville, and I did I did see that show. That's that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, it was my cool with a K. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a great dude. All those guys are great guys. VFL, I was in VFL eleven. We had just a bunch of really really good dudes in that squadron. Oh, that's, it was that's incredible. That's awesome. I bet they modified that last one before uh, sending it up again. I, to be honest with you, I don't think they did. Really? Wow. <laughs> I think they just rolled the dice. What, what could go wrong? You know. I think right. What could possibly go wrong? You know, it's only what pilots and NFOs. You know. Right. It's the military. What could possibly go wrong? Amazing. So, yeah. hey, a little bit, little bit of pre-show here. Um, you were telling me a little bit of buffoonery that was going on. I, th- I think you said it was El Centro. <laughs> I want to hear the. Might have been El Centro. Yeah, I want to hear the gristle oh, story. No. I can relay what I heard. I, I unfortunately, I've, I've witnessed a lot of fig uh, over the years. Um, I, I, I didn't witness this one. He can correct me if I have the story wrong, but most. <laughs> Good aviation stories start with, there I was. Well, this one was, Fig, I'll bail you out of jail if. And he's like, well, what? what's the if? <laughs> and he goes, it was, a, it was a restaurant in El Centro, California. It was called the Town Park. And um, the bet was they wanted Fig to get a pile of gristle from someone's leftover steak onto the biggest guy in the restaurant's plate. And Fig just looks around both ways grabs a gristle in his hand, goes in the bathroom. I assume to wash it off or do something. Jams it in his mouth, walks out and starts choking. And he's getting close to the guy's plate. And, but he's acting like he's choking, you know, because he doesn't want to get his ass kicked for getting this gristle on the guy's plate. He wants to do it and walk do it away. In style. Right. So somebody, a, a good, a good Samaritan citizen sees that pig is choking, gets up and starts administering the Heimlich. And uh, aiming Fig yeah. in the wrong direction to the plate. So Fig, as most aviators do, they adapt and overcome and, and launched it over his shoulder. And it ends up, hits the guy's shoulder, I believe, and lands on his plate. And the table erupts and cheers. And, and Fig turns around. And the guy spins Fig around and goes, you okay, little buddy? And he goes, you just saved my life. <laughs> Did I have it? So you, you, you know, you tell that story better than I do. And you, you almost had it perfect. There's a couple little details I got to iron out for you. So yes, you were spot on. That's how it started. That's exactly how it started. And, and what, what, what started it was there was some steak gristle left. We were sitting at a big table. There was a bunch of us that went out to dinner that night. There was probably 12 of us. And somebody had some steak gristle on their plate. And when nobody was looking, I took it and put it in my mouth. And I acted like I was choking right there. And I gave myself the Heimlich maneuver and spit, this, spit the gristle across the table and hit one of my buddies. And everybody laughed. 
And about that time, that's when Doobie says, because uh, this, this gotcha. whole big table of people just came in and got set down. They were dressed real nice, ladies with, you know, nice dresses and all this stuff. And, and, and that's when he said, I'll bail you out of jail if if you you yeah. know if you get thrown in jail and I said okay what what would I got to do and he says I want you to do what you just did here but on that table over there and I'm like okay so I took <laughs> I took the big old chunk of gristle and I walked I walked past the table to get my target I wanted to get a target layout I was doing a recon so I went into the bathroom I walked past the big table I picked my target. And when I came back, the gristle was already in my mouth. And as I'm walking by the table, that's when I started making the I'm choking sign, right? And my goal was I was going to put it on the plate of this of the big guy sitting at the table, right? And and like you said, somebody, a good Samaritan, I didn't see coming, comes from behind, <laughs> grabs me, picks me up off the ground. And this dude was big, come to find out. This guy was like a lumberjack big. He's, he's literally squeezing the living shit out of me. And, and while he's doing it, he's turning me. So now my target is moving away from me. And just like Jake described, I launched this thing over my shoulder, trying to get it on the table in front of this guy. It hits this giant piece of gristle comes, goes tumbling through the air, lands on the bare shoulder of one of the ladies wearing a spaghetti strap dress and, and slides off. And at that point, the whole restaurant is, cheering because you know and this guy puts me down rotates me 180 degrees so i'm looking at him and i'm looking almost straight up at this giant lumberjack guy and he's and then he did just like jake said he says are you okay little buddy what do i say to that i said you saved my life and so you know the, <laughs> a, a week or so later we go to dinner there again and and on the bulletin board inside the front door of the restaurant is a full page article in the local newspaper about the Good Samaritan that saved the Navy jet pilot's uh, life and how uh, he gets to eat free one meal a, a one meal a month free on the steakhouse, you know, because he's you a hero him up. and he saved it. I know, right? Uh oh. When this story comes out, man, his his good deal's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that. you're right. Right. Well, wow. okay. To save a little face for that guy, I was choking, and I thought I was going to die because I miscalculated the size of that gristle. So he did save my life. There you go. <laughs> Nicely played. Oh, that is outstanding. That yeah. was that was yeah. a story. And, but you, Jake, you told it. You told it so well. It was it was damn near flawless. Thank you for that. I've I've told it multiple times because that's one I've repeated because <laughs> the outrageousness of it all. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it, that was yeah. It, that was a big night. Of course, there was there may have been a little alcohol involved prior to that no, taking place. No, yeah, no, I probably know. not. It's hard to believe. Yeah, it, it probably it's, yeah. It's, I'm sure there was. I, I can actually almost <laughs> guarantee there was. <laughs> probably so. Yeah. Uh, hey, I, I'm going to ask you a question, Jake. That Pete, uh, that repeat asks a lot. Uh, so, what? What? Tell tell us if you can think of think of it. The most scared you ever were in an airplane, and uh, uh, and what, what was the other one, Pete? You always ask, or the funniest? What's the scariest or the or funniest? Because we already know you pulled the handle. So, because when guys get get stuck on that, I go, "Well, did you ever reach for the handle?" Scariest. I would say that would have been it. I mean, because you go through the gamut of all the emotions. You're like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm doing this. 
denial bargaining. <laughs> right. I only did this in a sim before. I've, I've never, I mean, I, so you like, this never ends well, right? When you, when you do that. So I'm thinking, well, right. this is going to suck. And then I'm in my shoot and I'm going, I'm, I was actually euphoric and kind of giddy. I'm like, holy crap, it all worked. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to be in the water. And then, yeah, it was, dark. it was, right. There was that. How long do you think you uh, so were in I the think, water that night? It was an hour and 15 or so. Oh, dear God. Yeah, I bet it was you were a little cold. chilly the by the time The wind was they... blowing. I tell you, you know, it's to, you know, it. my fingers, were, it was getting hard to use them. The dexterity yeah. was, was, was going away after yeah. a brief time with the, because you couldn't, I couldn't dry off. I mean, and the wind was blowing yeah. and you get dumped out of the raft, crawl back in, wind's blowing. Yeah, that was a. You just couldn't see the waves coming. That was the weird part. You would just get tumbled, and you didn't see it coming. Oh, wow. Like, there was no clue that that was going to happen. Didn't have a chance to get a good deep breath or anything either. No. Yeah, so you just hope for the best. And, and those rafts, I'm sorry. They, your your knees are in your ears when you're in that thing. Like, they're tiny. <laughs> That's not a survival raft. That's like a, you know. It's like a toy pool float. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you're going to want to stretch out and put your legs over that thing if you're in the middle of the daytime with some calm waters because that you, you're going to you just can't stay in that position. That looks like Sears School jammed into the small, small little box. Yeah, so you've mentioned Sears School a couple times actually, and then we'll, we'll get back to the funny and scary. But uh, Sears School is S E R E Survival Evasion Rescue. Resistance Resist- and escape, survival, survival resistance and escape, evasion, yeah. resistance and escape. So, and it's a cool school they send you to before you go on any deployments, and you're in in danger of being in a foreign country, and uh, facing facing the possibility of becoming a POW. And it's uh, it it's a tough week, like you said. You know, you're not going to die, but it is a tough week. I don't know about you guys. I think there may still be waterboarding. Our guys at, at Sears School. I got waterboarded. Yeah. Um, now, is it yeah, torture? I had, I had a smoke treatment. It sucked. Oh, the smoke. I got that I one, got too. I got two of them. Yeah. Yeah, fireboard. <laughs> I had Regardless. smoke treatment until I passed out, and they throw water on the end. Do it again. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. it ain't torture. It sucks a lot, but it ain't torture. Sorry. It does suck I, a lot. Yeah. Oh, right. So. I would say the happiest. I, I'll probably say the hap, like the proudest. It was fun when I brought an airplane home to St. Louis. The Tom got back to St. Louis to the Spirit of St. Louis Airport. It was uh, it was the D. Um, it was a static display, so I wasn't performing in the air show. But it was fun to come back. I knew my parents were going to be there, and family and friends and stuff. And before the show, I was relating to you about the arrival into that into, right. into that airport. It was it was a low ceiling. Low ceiling day, uh, and we could not see Spirit of St. Louis. And the controller's like, look, if you don't see it soon, we're going to have to send you over to Lambert. And I did not want to go to Lambert. So I'm like, I see Highway 40. I know where I am. I, I grew up here. I know exactly where it's. Tell them we see the field, and we'll just follow Highway 40 up. And so uh, my NFL goes, yeah, we got the field. And he goes, all right, switch over to Tower. So we do. And I said, hey, ask him for a carry break. And uh, we're following 40. We actually do see the field. And the guy goes, uh, yeah, that's approved. I'm like, that's awesome. So I cob on a bunch of power. I'm just getting fast here. And uh, he goes, by the way, what is that? The controller comes back with, what is that? Like, hey, let me answer. Let me answer. Because if, if you tell him, he's going to say no. So I'm just going to drag this out. And I said, what do you mean? 
He goes, this carrier brake, what is that? I said, it's just an aggressive turn to downwind. It's a racetrack pattern. It's no big deal. And he goes, okay, uh, what altitude? I'm like, we're at the ship at 800 feet, but, you know, we'll do whatever you want. He goes, well, here, I think it's like 1,100 feet or 1,200 or 1,500 even. So, yeah, whatever altitude you guys find with me. He goes, make it a right break because we got balloons and all kinds of stuff off, off on the left-hand side. I'm like, all right. And he goes, by the way, how fast are you? And here we go. If I tell him, he's going to say no. Yeah. And so I'm like, what do you mean? Like, right now? And he goes, no, during this carrier break, like, how fast are you going to be? I'm like, I'm like 585 right now. And he goes, 585 knots? I can't approve that. And I was past the tower at that time. I'm like, too late. I'm already in it. <laughs> Did the break. Parents filmed the whole thing. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Did you ever hear anything about that, Jake? Negative. Okay. That one word. All right. Well, that one was happy. Sir. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that stuff makes you a hero. That was fun. I thought of a story repeat that I got to tell because Jake was a firsthand participant (laughs) with me. And it also took place in St. Louis. It did. Uh, How are we doing on time? How are we doing on time, repeat? Oh, keep it going, man. We're good. We're uh, We're coming up on an hour. I'll be brief. The T-45 Gosshawk was just, just being... Uh, put into service. Um, we we put it into service in Kings Kingsville was the first place, and um, I was one of the initial cadre guys that was turning around and training other instructors, and and I so I had a lot of time in it. And every year uh, is it around the Fourth of July, Jake? They do the air fair. It is. So they don't really do it anymore. But yes, back then it was a it was Fair St. Louis or Spirit of St. Louis. It wasn't Spirit. It was a uh, it was like the VP fair was like the build profit thing that they had every 4th yeah. of July with fireworks and everything else. And they usually associated that with an air show down at the riverfront. Yeah. So they did an air show on the riverfront, right on the, on the Mississippi, right in front of the, uh, the uh, arch. And, um, McDonald Douglas wanted, uh, the, uh, T 45 to fly in it and show, show it off, you know, as the Navy's newest trainer. So, uh, somehow, and I don't remember the whole, the whole, part of it the somebody came to me at the wing and said hey we we want you to go up there and do this air show and we want you to take somebody with you who will be able to do it next year so you know they'll they'll see what how it works and everything and jake jake i knew jake was from st louis and he's like yeah i want to go so they sent us this videotape of um i think it was taken from a helicopter going up the river showing where the power lines were because there's two bridges, one north and one south of the arch, and and over those bridges, uh, there's high tension power lines, and so they 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 flew up the river and took a video, kind of showing you what, how it lays out, so that you had an idea before you got there how it was going to go. And we had specific instructions from from our wing that you know and Sinatra that we weren't allowed to do full aerobatics uh, in a in a in a, in an orange and white T bird airplane uh but on the other hand mcdonald douglas was like you know they were telling us hey we really want you to show this plane off we really really want you to show how it works so so we came up with this profile that was acceptable to both parties that would show off the uh performance capabilities of the airplane and still not do full-fledged aerobatics okay we weren't going to go inverted we weren't going to do any aileron rolls we weren't going to do any yes all right so 
So Friday, uh, we, we get there Friday and Friday afternoon, uh, there was a, uh, uh, air show meeting participant meeting with the FAA. And basically they gave us, uh, uh, all the waivers we needed. There was the, the air show box was to 10,000 feet and it was to either side of those bridges. So it was pretty tight. And so the plan was we were going to come up the river at a high rate of speed going, uh, uh south to north. And then we were going to do a high speed pass by the, by the arch and then pop up over the bridge and power lines, make a 180 degree brake turn, throw the gear down, flaps down, hook down, come by real slow in the carrier configuration, clean it up, make a couple high speed passes, do a knife edge to get uh, you know nice photo ops and that sort of thing, right? We, we were supposed to fill, I think, three minutes. Now, the air boss is standing on the roof of the Adams Mark Hotel, which is right there on the river. And so uh, we're, we're Jake and I are holding down the river, waiting for our time, and it was time to go. So we come up the river doing 400 knots, and in, 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 we, in we go, right? So we go over the first set of power lines, drop down low, go screaming by the arch, pop up, put this big brake turn on. I'm throwing the gear and the flaps and everything out, and – and it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. And as the nose and we're at Buffett, the hill plains rock and, you know, we're a high performance turning this thing and getting dirty. And as the nose is passing through West, the, the sun is in my eyes and I can't really see. And then the next thing I know, there's power lines right in front of me oh. uh, that I can't climb over now because the stick is in my lap. Oh! And, and yeah, sticks in my lap. Uh, you know, we're, we're literally 200 feet over the Mississippi river. The power lines, by the way, were North of the bridge that we didn't know there was power lines there. And so at the, I had to make a quick decision. Are we going to go through the power? You had lines one car. Are we going to go right? Are we going to go through the power lines or going to go under the power lines? So I, I, I pushed, I started, pushing the stick forward and I felt Jake, I felt Jake's hand on the stick. And I said, Jake, we got to go under and, and just real quick. I said, Jake, we got to go under these. And, and I, I, I felt him come off the stick and thank God, because we, I mean, we went under the power lines and by the way, I got the throttle full up. So as soon as we go under them, now we're climb, climb, climbing, everything's hanging out, gear, flaps, tail hook, everything, climb, 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 climbing to get up and over the next set of power lines that is over the bridge. Right. So we do, we make it, and it's silent in that cockpit as we're flying by the arch going south. <laughs> and then, uh, nobody saw. He, I was, uh, I'm on hearts racing, and I'm thinking, did that just happen? Because I remember looking down and seeing little eddy currents in the in the river. You know, where I'm thinking we're, we're going to hit the water. You know, if we hit these power lines, we're going to die, and we're going to hit. We're going to end up in this water. So, to make a long story short, we didn't fill the three minutes. I think we cleaned up and went back to Spirit or uh, uh, Parks downtown where we were parked, and and then he and I got out of the airplane and we're still not really talking. You know, we're just kind of quiet. We walked into the hangar uh, uh, where where actually one of my old college buddies had had their corporate aviation set up because that was just after the flood. Remember that, Jake? It wiped out yeah, uh, Spirit for a while, yeah. and yeah. so we went in there and we started cracking minis. 
And we drank a couple minis and calmed down. Then we, we started talking it out. Like, what in the hell just happened, right? So here's the best part. We were supposed to go to the air show party that night at the Adams Mark Hotel, all the air, air show participants. And I was dreading going there because I'm, I'm sure I'm going to see the air boss. And he's going to say, all right, I saw that shit show of a thing you put on. You, you can fly your ass back to Kingsville. I'm calling your wing commander. You're never going to fly again, right? So I'm walking around every corner at this party thinking I'm going to run into this guy. And about the, about the time I haven't seen him, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I turn around and he's standing right there and he goes, hey, listen, I really need you to fill all three minutes. I mean, everything you did today was great, but I really need you to fill all three minutes. And then he walked off. Nobody had a clue. We went under those power lines except Jake and I. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That, yeah. Honestly, there was, there was, there was only one decision to make is to go under. There was no other choice. You're waiting for him to say, let's have those wings boys. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we thought, was... so the FAA was there too. And the FAA watches a lot of that stuff. And, yeah. and uh, I wasn't so sure they weren't, were going to be waiting for us when we got back. And they, I guess, didn't see it either. Cause we were far enough North uh, of yeah. the show that they, there was either something blocked their view or they weren't paying attention. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, that was a day we had, yeah. we had, we, that was, he goes, yeah, that was a day. That was a <laughs> now, day. Did you, did you do this? Did you do it next year? Did you do that the following year? I, I did. And the FAA was waiting for me after I finished. Uh, <laughs> I, tell me, tell us. That I did story. that same. It was, it was, it wasn't very special, but I did the uh, same uh, north or south to north, tip over that first bridge down low, and I was low. I was really low, and he wasn't sure if I was going to go under Eads Bridge or over it. So he's like, "Hey, can you bump the altitude up a little bit? Because I don't want to. I don't want to. You got to do too the low. paperwork. You gotta, right? You go in between two bridges, and you're stupid low. He's like, "Can you just bump it up?" I'm like, "I know what I'm doing, but yeah, all right, I'll bump it up." So, but he was for me on that one yet go through the wires no big deal or go under the wires no big deal just didn't see it oh yeah that that was good times good times that is awesome that was a day well jake thank you so much for uh for uh letting us interview you because this has been an absolute blast it's been fun yeah it's good catching up yeah you uh long overdue uh thank you for your service to our country yeah, and uh, thanks. Thank you very much for joining us. We uh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Um, if anybody has any questions, comments, or wants to get in touch with us or be on the show, uh, reach out to fig at so there I was dot us or repeat at so there I was dot us. Repeat is R E P E T E. You can find us on Facebook at so there I was dot us slash Facebook or Twitter at so there I was dot us slash Twitter. I want to say a special thank you to the folks over at MacGeekGab at MacGeekGab.com for the technical support they've given us to put this show together and get it out every week. That's been very helpful, too. But in the meantime, everybody, stay safe. We'll see you next week. And check six. Uh, my co-pilot is not very good, but uh, you're now in the hands.
as a very skilled pilot, uh, even more skilled than uh, Sully Sullenberger. All right, uh, I'm going to go ahead and land this baby in Vegas, uh, since who really wants to go to Tucson anyway?